the Agostin Hosinga show with your host Agostin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. And welcome back to the Agostino Zynga show with me, your host, Agostino Zynga. And this is episode number 668. This is the Agostino Zynga show with I, your host, Agostino Zynga. And this is episode number 668. And I hope you are doing well wherever this podcast may find you. I really do hope you're doing swimmingly. How am I? You know how it is. All good, all things considered all good, all things considered. As most of you guys will know, I'm a huge Manchester United fan, so I'm over the moon and ecstatic today because as most of you will be aware, unless you're living under a rock or you don't care a single F-U-C-K about football, but Man United have made it to the FA Cup final. FA Cup final, we beat Brighton on penalties and we have made it in the final to face our arch rivals, our local rivals in Manchester City, which is due to be a pretty sick game, all things considered. Derbies, especially in cup finals, sometimes can be drab affairs, but I swear on my life, this is going to be really fun. So I'm going to obviously touch upon a few of those bits and bobs um, as we progress with the podcast. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, hold on to your seat because I have some um, insights into the game game that I of course want to share with you but apart from that um how have i been this past weekend pretty well i'm not going to lie it's currently coming up to like week three of my long-term sort of like you know Berghain sobriety camp thing that i'm doing and i have to be honest it's kind of live it's kind of good it's kind of sick i kind of understand why most people just avoid these type of things in general i'm kind of um you know i i'm kind of lucky in the regard i don't have a big social group or a circle so i'm not exactly tempted to do things or to go places i kind of just do them off my own volition and if i decide i don't want to do something i can kind of quit stuff you know pretty easily cold turkey without you know needing any any kind of help or assistance so i'm sure it'd be harder if i did have a group of friends who had birthdays who had baby showers and all this sort of malarkey and it'd be difficult for me to kind of get on the straight and narrow but I've been enjoying it. I'm not going to lie. I've been really enjoying waking up at a reasonable time in the morning, going to flipping gym, working for a bit, coming and recording a podcast, reading, chilling, whatever it may be, um, with a somewhat of a clear mind has been pretty decent to see. Um, especially off the back of, you know, listening to a few podcasts. I was listening to, um, John Mullaney on Fear Vaughn podcast, which I'm definitely going to speak about on the random show when I next stream that. If you're watching actually the live stream, you'll hear that at the next episode. I'll kind of talk about that, but just to briefly touch on it, that episode was absolutely amazing. If you haven't checked it out, please do. Um, the comedian's called Fear Vaughn, and he's got a podcast out, um, and he's done it with John Mullaney, who recently had to go to rehab and stuff for cocaine addiction. 
and it was really interesting because I think a lot of people, myself included, would have been very surprised to have seen somebody like a John Mulaney be somebody to be, you know, who was kind of like poured into the grips of cocaine in the first place. Maybe you could have expected him to be a booze addict, but I don't think a lot of people would have expected the cocaine stuff. So his explanation behind why he got himself into that position, uh, the things that he used to do was very, very enlightening. But one thing it really kind of revealed to me, and this kind of happened a lot of the times when I listen to people talk about it sort of stuff. I realize that you know what i'm not really an i'm not really an addict as much as i think i am when it comes to the class a substances or the drinks it's mostly and this is weird to say i think this is a really strange thing to admit out loud but i think the thing that i was probably addicted to was the attention was the attention and kind of being around people that kind of energy of like sharing something or offering somebody a drink or buying this or talking about something cool you heard or did you like this dj or i saw you at this party the other day like all that attention that i probably lack in my irl life i kind of got it turbocharged in a club setting in a house party setting in a warehouse setting and after setting i kind of got all that attention that i was kind of maybe lacking in my day-to-day in that kind of situation and then because i'm also you know very aware that intrinsically i'm extremely selfish which is definitely a trait that i'm trying my best to correct because i don't think it's a good thing to kind of have long term especially if i want to you know have relationships with people whether they're romantic or just friendship wise i need to be able to know how to kind of share my life and share my time with people and sometimes i find it very hard to do so and sometimes i can just be selfish in a way that i think about things especially people to kind of just understand what time i'm on to get what i'm saying um to to forgive everything that i kind of say whatever it may be i can just be selfish in that regard and i think a lot of that I think was the where the maybe addiction came in less so to do with the actual substances and more to do with me being around certain people and wanting that energy in my life but also being super selfish where I only want it in small doses I only want it at a club and only want it between these sort of hours and then after that I'm kind of gone that sort of idea which is really strange to have that kind of thinking because on the other side of it I always I also had a tendency where I'd meet people outside and I'd have a great time and it'd be amazing it'd be a one-off occasion we'll start adding each other on Instagram and stuff and then me like an idiot I'll start talking to them or messaging them or maybe saying hey do you want to come to this place next thinking that we're friends when we're not and then they'd maybe give me the cold shoulder then I'd get upset about it so it was this constant kind of pulling and pushing of like okay you want friends you don't want friends and you want to be on your own and you don't want to be on your own but all of it was kind of in that sort of weird sort of space of being around people that were drunk and high so listen to John Mulvaney honestly John Mulaney, sorry, um, honestly told me or basically informed me that I'm not an addict when it comes to drugs and stuff. It doesn't, it's not really that important to me when it comes to day-to-day enjoying myself or day-to-day going out or just functioning as a human being. I don't get the itches if I, you know, if I'm unable to get a flipping bump or a pill. That's not necessarily what kind of, you know, gets me going. I think what gets me going is, you know, being around people because I'm not really around many people day-to-day for, you know, for choice and maybe for circumstances so when you're in that position and you're in a club or you're in that situation it can kind of force you to be around people if you need if you let it happen and it can sometimes get a little bit too crazy so it was really enlightening to kind of listen to that podcast and hear him speak about it and just in general as podcasts go because i think overall i think we've all kind of noticed i think even myself i've noticed that there's been a bit of a lull i feel like with podcasts i think for the most part i'm only listening to the ones i actually like i think it before i'd be like passively listening to like random stuff in the background just to kind of you know have some sound whatever it may be 
But nowadays, I'm very picky about what I listen to. And even the stuff that I do like, I sometimes miss a couple episodes here and there, right? So um, I think we're all kind of noticing there's been a bit of a lull in podcasts. Maybe even I can notice it, the stuff that I'm doing, but the quality just isn't there anymore. It's not as fun as it once was in the past. And mainly, I think a lot of it has to do with some of the OGs or some of the guys and girls that were kind of, you know, that spearheaded this thing. They've now all become multimillionaires, so they can't really give it up the way they quote unquote could have given it up in the past. So they have to be a little bit more protective, they have to be a little bit more secretive, they have to just kind of watch their P's and Q's um, because they have a family to look after and whatnot. So it makes complete sense. So pods have become a little bit dry, a little bit dead, a little bit boring. Um, and I feel like this recent episode with Theo Vaughn and John Mulaney was a real departure from that because John came on there and really bared his soul. And I think it helped because they're both basically recovering addicts when it comes to cocaine when it comes to boozing so they were able to connect on a really deeper level and kind of see each other's kind of pitfalls identify places that they've also been it was really interesting to see really 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 interesting to see and um, both of them kind of speaking about that but it's just funny as well just from the sense of you them them i think that's where maybe the addict side of it comes in there was really a lack of conversation no a lot of their stories centered around just them doing those things on their own it wasn't a lot of it like going out to places like most of my stuff especially when i'm kind of going out and i'm on flipping 10 i'm going out places to go and dance have a good time whatever maybe it's very you know rarely from you know maybe from time to time that i'm actually on my own at home getting on it it's mostly outdoors for the most part but i guess that's maybe an addict side of things you don't want to be around people you just want to be doing your own silently but I couldn't imagine doing that on a daily basis or on a weekly basis and having fun. It would get a bit boring. It's kind of fun to be around people, but I know some people actually like to do it on their own. But I feel like when when you when you're an addict, I just I just would have assumed part of it was kind of being outdoors and being social because even when it comes to the the local flipping you know crackers that I have in my area most of them are always walking in groups uh, they're walking around everywhere carrying loads of flipping bags and they're always pacing and looking really sketchy it's funny because from afar they look quite you know normal and then as soon as they get close up to you, you start seeing oh jesus christos this person's been outside for ages their skin looks mad they're twitching all over the place always looking for phone boxes <laughs> which is kind of wild but they're usually in groups so you think the same thing would kind of extend when it comes to those sort of drugs but maybe not but anyway regardless please listen to it if you haven't already please listen to it if you haven't already then another tip to talk about recommendations i haven't been out in a while i haven't been out in flipping ages and i feel like my soul is kind of dying for a proper rave but i'm gonna be steadfast and commit myself to actually going to pirate studios and recording another mix and going on that sort of side of things because in general that's kind of where i want to go in terms of doing stuff and putting out more content of me djing and stuff and seeing where that that may lead and then maybe eventually going on and starting opening you know start doing my own flipping club nights because if the end goal is to open my own nightclub i need to kind of get back into the swing of things and whatnot and um this weekend i did a bit of a booby because i got you know basically i wouldn't say booked but i've been recommended to go and play at this bar that i was playing at beforehand and i guess i just had a crisis really and truly i had a real crisis um i was at home preparing all my stuff getting ready to go with loads of time ahead to get ready so nothing about you know being late and that was the reason why i didn't want to go but i was preparing all my stuff i was downloading the tunes thinking what to put on a playlist and stuff and you know it's a it's a technically it's a pub that has a sound system that you can play in and um i was like man 
here I am again, downloading fucking Umbrella or whatever, right? Remix to play at this bar and pub. And this is not a what I want to play day to day. I want to be able to play, you know, like with the people that I deem to be my heroes, where they're playing in the, in the clubs and bars that they're in. That's where I kind of want to be. But obviously these things take time. It's not a, you know, shortcut process and blah, 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 blah. And one of the routes that I wanted to go down was to take the route that I'm doing now, which was going to play in these small bars and pubs, get used to playing in front of people on a regular basis. And then hopefully that can pivot into other things. But naturally, because that takes up so much time playing in these places, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, there's no real time to go and play at these other places I want to go play at. It just doesn't work that way. So you kind of have to just focus on one thing and just kind of go full steam ahead. So, which is why. I'm, you know, definitely in the next few weeks, you'll see me doing a lot more sets at Pirate and recording them and just uploading more sets in general and get my SoundCloud up and going where it should be so that I have, you know, some evidence of the stuff that I do play and what I, I'm capable of. Anyway, going back to this story, I'm at home preparing my stuff, getting ready to, to prepare all my tunes. And I just thought to myself, I don't want to do this, man. I don't want to go to this place and just be like playing Beyonce and Destiny's Child, like, I don't mind listening to this type of music. I'm very open-minded when it comes to music and stuff. I think maybe, you know, maybe the DJing thing helps or maybe just being open-minded in general as a person helps. But I really want to play the stuff that I want to play, which is disco, which is techno, which is house, which is acid. Like all the stuff is that what I actually want to play. I do not want to play that stuff every day. So I just sat there and I thought, you know what? I'm not going. I'm not going. And then I also sat there and thought, you know what? Let me text. Let me write this text now, so I give this guy, you know, enough time to to get a replacement. I plot the flipping, you know, text together, and I looked at it on my phone. I was like, you know what? Because I do this often when I'm about to like make these decisions where I'm being selfish. I think to myself, like, what's the damage this is gonna do in the long term? Yeah, and I thought to myself, you know what? This is gonna do a lot of damage because most likely you're never gonna play in this bar and pub again as long as this manager's, you know, in place unless he's super desperate and he wants you last minute, you basically ruin that relationship. It's been severed forever. It's done. You're going to be looked at as a flake. You're going to be looked at as a waste of time, blah, 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 blah. And there's no excusing it, basically, right? You, you were given ample heads up to when you went to play. You even asked him to play. He gives you a date. And then last minute, you have a crisis and you don't want to play anymore. So if you send this text, you're never going to play there again. And I was like, you know what? I know that and I'm all right with it. So I just pressed it press send and that was it basically i haven't heard from the guy since <laughs> so i guess that's over but i had to sever that tie and i just think in general um i think what i've kind of noticed is like with age i don't think you necessarily change you just have less time for stuff that you don't want to do and i've always been inherently 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 flipping selfish anyway always it's really something that i really should work on and kind of get fixed but I think in general, we all kind of get to that point where you get older and you start to only want to do the things that you want to do, especially in the post-pandemic world. I feel like before the pandemic, we were all kind of pulled in different, you know, ways and, you know, directions by our friends, work, family, wherever it may be. But I think when the pandemic happened, everyone's kind of priorities really, really, really got distilled down to you know so whatever the kind of main ones were your focus were and you just kind of zeroed in on that and anything else was a distraction it wasn't necessary because of all the time that was wasted you know flipping in lockdowns and all that sort of madness so if now it's probably i'm, I'm in i'm in one of those type of i'm in one of those type of zones so i sent that i knew it would ruin things and i'm definitely you know 
not in the good books of that guy but i just had to do it man because i couldn't see myself going there and playing another flipping rihanna track and pretending like it was flipping turnt because it wasn't <laughs> honestly man because now i'm understanding why a lot of my friends who you know i kind of come up with and are doing the same thing were very very strict about only playing certain places now i understand why because if you take on too many of these you know quote-unquote normie you know gigs it can sometimes kill your spirit and sometimes if the money's decent and the gigs are quite frequent you can kind of get comfortable do you know what I mean like I think this one maybe helped in my decision process because it was 150 pounds for the set and I think it was like five hours or something which is pretty crazy to pay for five hours of 150 is kind of it's kind of nuts right it's kind of like blood diamonds type of level you know work but and also the fact that they paid by invoice, so they're paying you six weeks, you know, late. So whenever they decide to pay you an invoice, it can get a little bit. Ugh, what's the point? You know what I mean? It's not really something that you kind of want to do. But anyway, it is what it is, isn't it? It is what it is. Um, you know, we, uh, this decision, I'm okay to make it, and I'm gonna take this new path of recording more mixes and putting those out before, because I was doing that quite often beforehand, and that was going pretty well for the most part. I was doing little mini radio shows I did weekly, I did mixes I did weekly on top of all the stuff I'm already doing, so it's gonna be a lot. But I think this is what I prefer to do going forward, and that'll be a better way to me to kind of build an archive and a of, you know of stuff that I'm kind of into, and people can kind of you know glean on and take a peek at and see. Okay, cool musically this is the whole direction that he's in artistically this is what he kind of likes a vibe and he can kind of get an understanding of what i'll be like if i was to go and play at some of these flipping big established clubs i want to be at when i do play not when i if i was when i do play you know gotta change your words with intentions anyway moving on with that one quick recommendations for those of you who happen to be in london if you're looking for places to go this weekend i do recommend two events here that I quickly want to focus on number one is code word featuring faddy mohem and jacko jacko if you are um in the area and you do want to go to places like fold which i speak about you know ad nauseum on this podcast i definitely do recommend you check out cold word at fold and um, featuring the one and only fatty mohem who i'm a big fan of i saw him play once before at Burkine. he's a fairly new resident over there and absolute killer if you're into the Rene wise type of guys and that sort of vibe then i really recommend you check out this event which is happening this weekend friday or well, on friday night sorry this um, april 28th um definitely check it out if you haven't already tickets available now and ra check those out if you haven't it's code word fatty mohem and jacko jacko out forward on friday the 20th of april and then the second event which is something i'm kind of guided i won't be going to actually um i actually bought tickets this but i'm not going to be going like an absolute idiot is e1 presents devious one four hour set over there e1 one of my kind of favorite nightclubs now um over the last flipping few years a place that i kind of never really paid attention to but my friend and i went there a few times for some few events last year and a year before that and we had a real great time i really enjoyed it um i feel like it's probably a good enough mix between like a normie club like a fabric and maybe something a little bit more quote-unquote core and senior like a fold so if you're maybe not into the super pretentious vibe and you know techno hipster vibe then definitely um e1's a place to go and if you don't want it to be full of lads and lads then maybe um e1's a better option to go to than fabric and definitely the programming has improved tenfold over the last few years i'm not too sure who they've got in charge there doing the event bookings and bookings in general but they are absolutely smashing it and devious one four hours set in the flipping warehouse room 
is going to be a smasher make sure you wear very very light clothing or you put every single jacket or hoodie or whatever you own in the flipping cloakroom because it gets absolutely warm in there it gets really loud it gets really wet so if you slip over and you end up having your whole back covered in flipping zambukas you don't want to be having your jacket on there so make sure that you're wearing as little as possible because it gets hot and it gets sweaty in there but it definitely is a great place to go nice one big square room you know a whole wall of speakers the sound is flipping amazing in there especially towards the front um decent bar um areas and stuff all dotted around the room really i think they've got one towards the front as well one towards the back they can kind of go in drink prices are kind of pricey being e1 but honestly i think it's worth it for the sound system and just generally how it's organized alone so definitely check out if you're ready um this saturday the 29th of april e1 presents devious one r rose and aku playing definitely check it out but the, obviously the standout is definitely going to be devious one four hour set um they're definitely a great place to go and see him i've seen him there play before and also in fold um and hopefully the next time i definitely go and see him will be at Bergheim because that'll be the the that's where he's basically created most of his legend from playing those extended sets over there at Bergheim, along with the Freddy K's and the like. So if you're looking for something to do this weekend, those are two of my picks. Check them out. Check them out. Moving on, we have to mention, of course, the biggest result of the weekend, Man United beating Brighton on penalties at the FA Cup semi-final to reach the final to reach to face our arch nemesis and rivals man city on the game itself um very topsy-turvy very odd game to kind of analyze in any kind of meaningful way because i felt like a lot of our players are running on absolute empty the gas tanks are absolutely on red and now we're seeing loads of cramps and muscle injuries and whatnot clearly the players have been pushed to their flipping limits and the fact that eric ten Hag, man his manager seems to be really resistant or really kind of um he doesn't want to rotate the squad too much he doesn't want to really utilize the subs in any way shape or form he kind of sticks to the first team and if somebody's injured he replaces them whoever's the next one up but he very rarely rotates the team in any meaningful way so there's no real freshness in it but I have to kind of give the guy credit. Of course, he's a world-class manager. I think so. Potential to be world-class and definitely, you know, hasn't got the job by chance. And I think one thing that I kind of give the guy credit for, for pushing this team and not changing it too much, um, this, you know, unless we've got injuries or suspensions, is the fact that he's now placed demands on his players, demands to perform, demands to get results, demands to win trophies. So as much as I would love to ascribe to the idea that this United team shouldn't be trying to win everything possible in the season and should maybe be focusing on a couple of competitions i also do think these players and this squad and this club overall needed an attitude change we needed someone to come in who expected more who wasn't just okay with us you know finishing fourth and maybe challenging for a trophy no he wanted to challenge on all fronts at one point he was pushing us to maybe challenge for the league title that's how flipping crazy that eric ten Hag guy is but i think in general it's going to serve us well because it's going to, I think, um, transfer over into an attitude shift in the team overall where they're going to finally realize what it means to play for a badge because i feel like a lot of those players from past 10 years and stuff have been resting on their laurels and kind of been coasting along and now here comes eric ten Hag kicking them up the ass on the game itself i feel like um what we saw was essentially a display that our defense is a lot better than maybe our attack 
I feel like even the injuries and the replacements that we had in place, I feel like our defence was really steadfast. And I have to give a real big shout out to Luke Shaw coming in at centre-back. One absolutely marvellous sort of um, decision-making process or defensive switch that was from Eric Ten Hag to kind of get Shaw into cover as a left-sided centre-back um, when the likes of, um, you know, what's his name? When the likes of uh, Martinez were out, um, it was definitely a better option than playing Harry Maguire there because he can't play from the left and he's just a terrible centre-back and what we're seeing now with Luke Shaw playing in that defensive midfield defensive position is that Lindelof isn't as bad as I once thought Lindelof is actually quite decent when he's playing alongside somebody that's pretty solid because Luke Shaw what he lacks in attacking talent what he lacks in attacking courage he makes up for defensive acumen he's a really good defender I think most Luke Shaw haters myself included would say even though we hate him and he's pretty lazy and kind of really goes against what any modern fullback basically looks like one thing we can't deny, the guy can defend. And when he slots into the centre of the park, I feel like he feels even more comfortable there than he does playing left-back. He looks really, really good. Um, and of course, he complimented Lindelof really well. Also, I feel like Wan-Bissaka and low basically locked those wings down. There was no real option for Mitoma or Sully Marsh to get down the flanks. And it was, it, it, it was kind of evidence when uh, Wan-Bissaka was subbed um, that's when Solly Marsh started to get some joy down the wings when he switched flanks and was able to kind of, you know, essentially go crazy and have, have a couple of shots on goal and whipping a couple of good crosses. And, and, and Mitoma, the same thing as well. I feel like when Wambisaka played, he had either winger locked down whenever they switched onto his side. So that was really pleasing to see overall. And then when it came to the penalties, I have to be honest, I was really, really scared. Um, for a lot of our players, especially somebody like a Jaden Sancho. He's been really low in confidence and my gut was telling me that he was definitely going to miss after playing, you know, maybe below what we'd expect him to be playing at these last few games. And he was able to flip and deliver that and kind of, you know, finish that goal very, very well in the penalties. So did Weghorst and a few other players. And the final penalty, I think, was very fitting that Lindelof was the one to essentially slot that in and allow us to flip and reach the flipping FA Cup final. So all in all, a really decent result. I feel like result over performance, if anything, it would have been better if we maybe would wrap it up in the 90 minutes so that our players wouldn't be so tired. But all in all, pretty decent result. And now we look forward to a FA Cup final, which regardless of which way it goes, I think it's important these players are in that position and are basically have these pressures put, on, put upon them and have these expectations on their back also. And who knows, maybe this could be the players' way to maybe rewrite the wrongs of previous results, especially that Liverpool result that still leaves a sour taste in my mouth. And if they kind of do, you know, basically turn over Man City in the FA Cup final, considering how imperious they're looking, it's going to be really, really good. I'm really going to look forward to it. So anticipating a really good game against Man City, I think they're going to allow us to play. We're going to obviously play some good stuff also against them. And I'm really hopeful that a few of our players who are on the, you know, are on the flipping sick bench, who are now currently injured, are able to come back for the final. Um, so we have some options to come off from the bench or whatever it may be. Because I think the final's in June, so there is some time for players to recover. So hopefully, fingers crossed that happens. Hopefully, fingers crossed that happens. Um, moving on from that one. Moving on from that one. We have to talk about... We have to talk about... Where to go? Oh, it's about this. Yes, cool. It's about this. So, this is Cursio Bustle. Bustle, bustle, bustle.com. And it says, Is therapy speak making us selfish? 
And this obviously, you know, rings true to me, considering what I've been speaking about at the beginning of the podcast, regarding how selfish I can be with my time and just myself overall with family, friends, partners, whatever it may be. It can get a little bit crazy for the old AG. So when I saw this article, it definitely spoke to me and my issues and, you know, my inability to maybe hold on to friendships, to maintain them, to grow them, to find them and all that malarkey. So this is courtesy of Bustle. It's, it's, the, it's therapy speak, making us selfish and um, let's read it together. It says, last summer, Anna, 24, was dumped by a long-term friend of a text. While making plans to meet up, the friend pivoted and told Anna she wanted to end their five-year friendship. When Anna asked if it was something she did, her friend told her she wasn't comfortable answering and that there was no more room for discussion. <laughs> this feels so accurate to how I had somebody essentially break up with me in the same um, sort of way. But the way that it happened to me was that it felt a lot more... It felt way more uh, it felt way more brutal because if anything it felt more like a a rejection of their old self as opposed to my old self and i've said that before i think there are people out there who do this weird thing where they kind of what's even yeah lifestyle shame is probably the best way to term it they lifestyle shame and they kind of um maybe character evolution shame whatever it may be there's some sort of thing that people do when when they decided to make a change for their life and they want the next sort of tip instead of taking personal responsibility for how they've maybe fucked up their life until this point they start to look at other people and what they've done to influence them and usually it's, it's singular people which is really strange because you'd imagine if you're being influenced bad badly by people it'll be people right people's plural it wouldn't just be one person but they usually, it's only one or two, three or four individual people who probably aren't connected to each other at all. And usually it's, I feel like, more of them trying to cope with the idea of wasting time. So you don't want to take responsibility that you're wasting time. So you make it seem as if it's this other person who did it. And then when the breakup happens, there's like a there's like a refusal to explain because you're just pissed off that you've wasted so much time. You don't want to waste more time to explain. And then you kind of want to push that away. And then of course, if you sprinkle in some stuff, you know, some other stuff that we kind of all know about and whatnot when it comes to adult relationships, that's when they can kind of get a bit crazy. But I think at the time, and even till now, to some degree, I didn't take it the best, but I understood. But then I also thought to myself, you know what? I didn't do anything wrong, really and truly. Um, I'm still the person that I was when that, you know, when I met that person until now, maybe have evolved in some ways, but I haven't necessarily did anything wrong. And if that's their decision and that's their kind of path that they want to lead, no problem, you know, do your thing. But there's no congratulations, there's no pats on the back or anything. And, you know, if tomorrow I heard they stepped into traffic and got run over by a truck, I wouldn't shed a single tear. So it's kind of one of those kind of vibes. It's like, it's sort of like a, it's sort of like an acceptance and okay, but also a complete coldness on my side of things. So I think people are sometimes the same. I've said that before. I think friendship breakups are legitimately worse than relationship breakups. Like, and I'll die on that hill. Um, continues. Cause I don't wish death on any flipping ex I have, but ex friends. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, it continues. I'm in a place where I'm trying to honor, this person said, I'm in a place where I'm trying to honor my needs and act in alignment with what feels right within the scope of my life. And I'm afraid our friendship doesn't seem to fit in that framework. I could no longer hold the emotional space you've wanted me to and think the support you need is beyond the scope of what I can offer. 
in my opinion, I think quotes like this or sending your friends stuff like this as a way to break up with them is incredibly rude and unnecessary unless they did something to you that would warrant this sort of explanation. I feel like in general, this is kind of feels like an inability with some people to really just say what they mean or mean what they say and just act like an adult and kind of just be like honest and speak clearly with people or just having just an inability to just have any sort of manners and any sort of tact or whatever it may be because this just seems weird because you'd be offended if somebody sent this to you at a job that you worked at for more than five years and they let you go like this right this is you'd be offended if this was a job how much more if it's your a supposed friend sending this to you I can no longer hold the emotional space you've wanted me to and think the support you need is beyond the scope that I can offer. What? What is this startup speak all about? This is some nonsense. Just saying loads of words for the sake of saying loads of words. Like, you know what I mean? Like, fucking hell. It continues. Anna was hurt and frustrated. It felt like she was ending the friendship with a HR memo. She said, like, I would have hoped that it would respect me enough to give me something more straightforward or at least more kind. Even if the friendship couldn't be saved, Anna says she would have at least liked to have had the opportunity to respond. Let it be more discussion. Let me say, okay, this is what I need. This is how I'm feeling. This is how you're feeling. Let's talk about it. She says it felt super one-sided. Yeah, and of course, I've, I felt the same way too, but I think... I've, I felt exactly the same way as this person's feeling, right? Feeling like it's very one-sided. You're getting only one, ex, you're kind of getting only one side of the flipping discussion of it. And usually it's because the other person can't handle the other side of the conversation because it's a bit heavy. It's going to maybe address topics and areas of, you know, of their life. They probably don't want to go over again. Maybe they're legitimately trying to move on and just speaking to you in general is kind of stirring up all types of emotions and feelings they don't want to address in any kind of meaningful way. And some people's way of getting over things is just kind of cutting, cutting you off completely. And I understand that, no problem. But I also think if you were legitimately friends, you do maybe owe somebody an explanation, one million percent, especially if they ask you for it. I think some people are maybe you know we're all kind of adults for the most part you're maybe smart enough to understand or to maybe glean why somebody doesn't want to talk to you anymore you could probably read between the lines but i feel like if somebody ask you like ask you yeah to say hey agostino do you mind explaining to me why you stop talking to me why don't you want to pick up my calls anymore why don't you want to hang out duh, 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 duh. you probably owe it to them as a friend to say hey this is why you probably do and not in some you know stupid we work startup nonsense hr speak like as friends would do like be honest and be upfront however harsh it may be however difficult it's going to be for you to address the situation or to kind of stir up those emotions you owe it to your friend to do so but on the other side of it on the other side of it also i feel like no one owes you any explanation about anything and you shouldn't expect it you shouldn't only get closure because you have explanations because sometimes people are just you know people just don't know what they're talking about or maybe you don't agree with what they're saying or whatever it may be or maybe you'll have a different point of view and if they decided that it's enough and they don't want to talk to you anymore that should be enough for you to respect and be like you know what this is hard for me to deal with same with a relationship breakup you know I, I might want to rescue this I might want to hold on to this I might want to still make this work but if that person has legitimately turned their off and they've kind of you know they offer you any and you know it's really difficult to turn someone back on again 
you've seen it before even with exes you might end up bumping into them out and about somewhere and you hook up here and there but it never goes back to how it was before ever so even more so when it comes to a friendship if they think the friendship was somewhat toxic or detrimental to their life whatever it may be it's never happening you're better off just moving on and trying to find other people who can you know maybe give you the friendship that you need and deserve as opposed to trying to rescue that thing there but in the kind of crux of it it should be down to hey respect their wishes and also understand that no one really owes you any explanation about anything at all zero and if you do get one it's a bonus but you should probably navigate your through your life kind of having that kind of ideal and also you know adopting the idea that you're ultimately responsible for your own emotions and feelings behind certain things and how you deal with certain things really and truly you can't really control how some people see you how they respond to you or whatever it may be that will be my point of view on it but what do i know um as you just said here honestly someone cutting you off with no explanation just shows how immature they are and that they'd rather duck and hide and communicate like a grown adult exactly yeah exactly as, as i said the same thing um but i just think nowadays no one really communicates like a grown adult anyway in general right that's why most people don't answer phone calls that's why most people don't respond to text messages straight away because they don't know how to kind of react like an adult so they'd rather just that's why ghosting maybe is so popular in my opinion because people aren't grown-ups they're not mature enough they don't have the emotional um bandwidth to be able to somehow you know conflict resolution their way through those sort of murky dodgy waters they're rather just kind of ghost people and then hope that kind of lapse or that kind of time in between is going to be enough of a message to tell that person hey i don't want this i don't want this i don't want this whatever it may be whereas maybe addressing it is a little bit too difficult to do but what do i know it continues it says in recent years oops wrong thing let's go back here it says in recent years therapy concepts like self-care and boundary settings have shown up everywhere online with instagram accounts and other social media communication communities sorry sharing mantras and advice advocating for self-actualization tiktok therapists like nadia adisi and therapy jeff offer tips for struggling with anxiety self-esteem and people pleasing therapy speak quote-unquote perspective 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 why can i say that word prescriptive language describing certain psychological concepts and behaviors can be found everywhere from group chats to dating apps now we have more language to advocate for ourselves and our needs whether it's cancelling plans when we feel overwhelmed or any relationships that no longer serve us my kind of gleaning from this just as an outside observer is i feel like a lot of people self-diagnose themselves anyway when it comes to issues um regarding you know something that you'd maybe deem within the psychology type of space i think people psych self-diagnosed way too much and maybe people's inability to really be grown up so and kind of address things in general and i think this can this also speaks to people's inabilities to ask for raises to inquire about promotions um to basically put in a resignation like how many people that you know working now working in dead-end jobs they don't want to be at because they're afraid of leaving because they don't want to let quote-unquote somebody down which is nonsense like people just don't know how to deal with things in general in their own lives um so it's no surprise within friendship groups people are now you know kind of leaning on this nonsense because it kind of just makes them feel good about being a shitty person and about not growing up and about not kind of facing up to the issues at hand in my opinion that's what i would say it continues it's important not to be able to set boundaries and advocate for yourself occasionally though 
The emphasis on protecting one's individual needs can overlook the fact that someone else is on the other side of the boundary setting. Exactly. In 2019, for instance, a relationship coach Twitter thread offering a template for telling friends in need of support that you're at capacity at the moment drew criticism for equating friendships um, to emotional labor. Earlier this year, a, a clinical psychologist TikTokers video outlining how to break up with a friend went viral after viewers pointed out that it sounded like a massive PR. Sorry, it sounded like a missive from PR. Critics have noted that personal relationships require a touch more compassion than some of these therapeutic blueprints offer. And we see it already. We see it, we see it, we see it already. Honestly, we see it already. We see it kind of with all these podcasters and stuff, breaking up and whatnot. A lot of these podcasts in general, the ones that I listen to, right? Case in point being the Joe Budden podcast with the original lineups. Most of those, the premise on them, I felt like the kind of selling point, the main reason why you tuned in was because of that kind of like um, entourage type of feel, especially if you're a boy, right? You kind of maybe didn't have many friends or maybe some of your friends were scattered around the country or scattered around the world because they moved to college or work, whatever it may be. And Joe Budden at that time represented to you what your friendship group was in some way, shape or form. You saw maybe your friends in a way you acted with the people that you know in the same sort of way. Or maybe you just had a parasocial relationship with them and you kind of felt like you were in the room with them. But regardless, the main selling point was a friendship. So it was really weird as outside observers to see that when they all broke up, most of the reason why I feel like they broke up the way they did really badly and, in, in, you know, with really bad blood to this day was because there was a lack of understanding that they were friends and that if they were meant to break up and things were going different directions, there needed to be a little bit more of a softer touch, a little bit more of care in the, the things that you're saying and consideration of some of these feelings and emotions. It can sound really soppy and really G-A-Y, but it's the truth when you're dealing with friends, especially in business. You kind of have to have that because if you don't have that, Okay, so even Miles said at the time, who was a former co-host, if you don't have the friendship, then what's the point of this? Because the whole reason why we're doing this, yes, we're making money and stuff and we're whatever it may be, but we're also doing it because we're friends and it's fun to hang out with your friends and make money on the side as well. But when that goes, it goes. And that lack of care and attention and understanding, you know, emotionally of the friendship side of things, especially from Joe Budden, like he kind of had that switch, he kind of turned off and turned into a boss and decided they didn't deserve an explanation or anything else that's what kind of soured it and kind of made it weird and i just feel like i feel like that was representative of just how we are as people in general i just feel like we all have and even i'm i'm guilty of it we don't have an ability to kind of end things amicably it's all it's either it kind of like you know it kind of just dies a slow death a death by a thousand cuts or it dies really really harshly with really kind of painful emotional kind of circumstances but it's never just in the middle of like hey two people come together and say hey it's not working out at the moment we're both going in different directions i still got love for you whatever it may be but, you know if you ever needs anything from me i'm always going to be here but in terms of us being friends how it was before it just isn't going to be that and then kind of shaking on it it's never that or hugging on it it's always kind of just opposite ends of the scale which is just too crazy in my opinion um, what you're saying here, what a base take, AZ. I can only control my actions and responses. It's silly also to try and change someone's mind who clearly doesn't want to fuck with you. Exactly, yeah. It's painful, honestly. It really is. Like, I've been there and I'm, and I think, I wouldn't say I'm special in this regard, but I think it's even your emotions get heightened when you don't have many friends to choose from in the first place. And then the ones you have to choose from say, nah, leave me alone. I'm good on you. That can be really difficult to take. Um, 
And I would say it's probably worse than somebody ghosting you because at least with ghosting you, you can create this narrative in your head that maybe they're busy, maybe it's the boyfriend or the girlfriend or the job. or You know, you can create all these excuses to kind of absolve you from any kind of emotional strain or stress or kind of, you know, just hurt feelings. But when somebody says categorically out of their mouth, like words or types it and says, hey, don't call me, leave me alone, that can relieve some some serious wounds but again you can you cannot cannot put all that blame on that person you can just be responsible for your own emotions and just say you know what they've decided what they've decided and you just have to kind of move in a different direction and hope the next person you kind of bumps into kind of appreciates you appreciates you um you know for the friend that you want to be to them uh the one here says what do you what what do what do job do with I, i guess you mean what job do i do too many to too many to name too many to name but i'm a jack of all trades jack of all trades master of none <laughs> that's what i am um it continues here it says lucy 29 and from kentucky had a friend who repeatedly insisted on dictating meetups in the name of self-care when we would make plans they would change them the day before she says trying to reschedule and rearrange events will be met with that plan has changed we're going to alternative activity i'm setting a boundary so weird again this is just this is honestly an excuse to be a cunt from what i'm seeing here reading in this article this whole um therapy speak thing in friendship is just an excuse to be a cunt it feels like to me because i feel like this is also representative of like i was talking about pandemic but i think the pandemic has changed us in ways that we probably will never understand until maybe you know many 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 years past but i feel like because the pandemic forced us to all kind of burrow down and look after ourselves and, you know, become a little bit more reflective and take some time and concentrate on our health and our family and whatnot. I also feel like a lot of us came out of the pandemic thinking our friendships that we had before were, this, were in the same place. Clearly they weren't because some people just move on, change, whatever it may be. And I feel like people's inability to kind of articulate what that change is or kind of fess up to it is what's led to this essentially like we've all become a little bit we've all become weirdly selfish and we've all come really kind of um uh we've all come really selfish and also we have a weird dislike for explaining ourselves in general i feel like i feel like because everyone's kind of doing their own thing so no one really wants to explain why they don't want to be your friend and if they do explain it they don't want they don't want to dig into their emotions or whatever it may be so you just kind of go for the flipping therapy speak because it sounds like a fucking cover letter that you'd send for an interview or for job applications right i have this many experience i did this i did that it's not so cold not personal there's no emotion to it there's nothing it's just whatever it is on the on the text which is crazy it continues here said if lucy tried to protest about this person keep changing the schedule um she says her friend would accuse her of being pushy which ultimately made her reluctant to make plans out of fear of coming off as demanding or toxic that is that is 101 gaslighting isn't it god almighty the quote it did make me doubt myself and think that i was being needlessly demanding or making people feel uncomfortable by expecting plans to be upheld um i still get knee-jerk reactions of not wanting to be the brother it's not going to be a bother when plans are cancelled. Katie Hackler, 34, from New York, once invited four of her friends to an intimate dinner at a pizza restaurant to celebrate her birthday. One friend showed up 25 minutes late. It was a little rude, a little annoying, but not the end of the world, Hacker says. Um, I felt like I was still super polite to hear and to, 
to her and warm. After dinner, a low-key bar visit, the night wrapped early and Hackler went home. Close to midnight, the late friend called Hackler. She says, I need to address this. You made me feel unsafe and unloved tonight. Hakala says, I went, excuse me? And she's like, yeah, your demeanor was a little off and this has been building for a while. You made me feel really left out. <laughs> so hold on. This friend, again, this, the, and this is what I'm saying. We're so emotionally immature as people nowadays, myself included. It's kind of scary. Katie Hakala is 34 from New York. I'm assuming most of her friends are either five years younger or five years older. So even if they're even if even if they're 30, and even and even worse if they're flipping 40, you should know better than this. If somebody's got, especially for a birthday dinner or whatever it may be, right? Um, an intimate dinner at a pizza restaurant, showing up 25 minutes late is inexcusable. It really is, especially for a birthday. Because you'd imagine you want to get there maybe before them to get them a drink or to get them a present. Or maybe if you're going to be late, at least come with something in your hand. I bet she came late with nothing in her hands, which is even worse. And then after that, the dinner continues on. No bad vibes because it's somebody's birthday. And then you have the neck, the gall to text them and say, hey, you made me feel unsafe. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? The flipping front on these people sometimes. And again, that's what I said. I just think as a society, as people, we're just so unable to communicate with each other in any kind of meaningful way that this is what it's led to. You know, the the polarity that we have in politics, in societal issues, is kind of maybe now trickling down into our personal relationships and friendships. We just can't talk to each other. It's just screaming or it's ghosting. <laughs> that's it <laughs> screaming at each other or ghosting nothing in between like this is ridiculous or maybe sometimes even gaslighting um hakala had no idea what prompted this outburst and on her birthday no less i'm racking my brain to think what did i do other than invite you to a really intimate dinner with my closest friends and hug you and have drinks with you she says of course i got off the phone and immediately cried and felt like shit so Again, just proof, and I bet you this lady, um, Hakala, is most likely still friends with this person. Because we're all so emotionally immature, but we also all kind of relationship-wise and maybe spiritually just bereft. We don't have anything. We don't have any friends. So the ones that we do have, even if they're shitty and they're cunts, we still hold on to them because we're so, so fucking lonely. It's so sad like legit it's so sad but that's legitimately the truth i can see here and those people know that and they take advantage of it shit people in life they know that they take advantage of it they know you're not going to go anywhere they know you don't have that many friends so they really do take liberties that's absolutely crazy but i'm not reading the whole thing but you can see the article here it's called is therapy speak making us selfish it's available on bustle.com written by a writer called rebecca fishbean rebecca fishbean published on bustle.com check it out if you haven't already please do check out in full it's a really interesting article um which is saying chat i just went through this recently it's actually crazy you're talking about this but i'm glad i can reason through things like you're taking the words out of my mouth like the commentary thank you appreciate it yeah look man it's i don't know it's difficult man it's difficult it's difficult it's difficult i don't know i don't like to because I think it's important to also have friendships and to have relationships with people. I really do think so. I think, you know, essentially, you know, this whole born alone, die alone adage, I don't prescribe to it at all. 
I think you know living a life of loneliness is just not the life anyone wants to live um what's the point of having everything in the world if you don't have anyone to share with it bloody blah 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 but you also have to understand that people nowadays are just so weird they're so flipping weird um we're all kind of emotionally stunted like i think a bit maybe as a as a kind of um maybe maybe as an analogy this is a weird analogy to make but have you seen that video there's a picture going no i think that drake must have shared actually i think in general right drake shared his picture let me see if i can find it drake let me see if uh drake shirt let's see if that works this is this works but drake had this picture that he shared that's it one hard that's one it's called hard feelings right let's see if i can find it drake shirt hard feelings uh let's see if i can get this up yeah there we go it's up here cool we got it we got it so not just sure if you guys are aware of this right but this drake shirt went somewhat viral on the flipping interwebs because if you can see it here i'm sure if you're not listening to the podcast you won't see it but it's drake on stage wearing this black leather overshirt or baseball shirt i'm not sure what it is on stage i think he may have been at coachella i'm not too sure no not coachella some live performance i'm not sure what it won recent live performance and on the shirt he's got embroidered on the bottom here hard feelings harder dick and for me i feel like friendships and just in general life we're living now whether you're a millennial a gen z wherever it may be i just feel like we're all so emotionally immature as people we're all kind of in a weird state of arrested development because drake is like what 37 or something like that around that kind of mark you'd imagine and he's wearing a shirt like this this is something that you'd wear if you're like in your fuckboy era if you're like what 25 and under or something so i feel like we're all kind of like this we're all maybe five years less mature than we actually are our philippine biological age so it's no surprise that we're all getting ourselves caught in these weird loops in these weird situations with friends and whatnot and exit it just becomes strange like all these and it's no surprise also maybe that there's such a everyone's flipping loves these podcasts like fresh and fit and all these other type of podcasts within that manosphere or these relationship podcasts where they speak about the same topic ad nauseum every single episode about who should pay for dates uh, where should you go um do girls you know go, go for your money only or all these flipping nonsensical tired boring topics but these videos these views these these videos views on youtube the views on tiktok and instagram they say differently I might not like them, but clearly there's a big audience for them, right? There's reality TV shows, Dating in the Dark, The Love is Blind, Love Island. They, they don't stop all these nonsenses. And I feel like the reason why is because we're generally all emotionally super, super immature, myself included, when it comes to it. We just don't know how to deal with our emotions in the right way. And we're not mature in just other things in life also, because I can't imagine many 25 year olds nowadays who would wear a shirt that says hard feelings harder dick but yet for drake at the big age that he's at with a kid and shit right with the biz with businesses with responsibilities he thinks this is somewhat fly and it sometimes somehow represents him and what he's about when really it's something that you should have been wearing when you're much younger but i think it's representative of where we are in the culture in general we're all just big babies we're all adult babies adult adult babies mate goo goo gaga goo goo gaga <laughs> oh, anyways moving on from that one a quick one to mention these i'm really 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 loving these these is courtesy of just fresh kicks and it features a kind of hybrid type shoe which i'm usually not a fan of 
when it comes to um, Nike deciding to take, let's say, a Jordan and essentially make it winterized by adding Gore-Tex, by, you know, um, making ma- making the laces tubular, by whatever it may be, maybe adding a more of an aggressive outsole. Usually, I'm not a fan of those type of things. I'd much prefer if they just actually made a newer silhouette, but sometimes it can work, and usually, it's the Air Force One model. The Air Force One silhouette, sorry, or the shape is just so right and apt for these kind of updates because it essentially looks like a bit of a boot anyway. So if you take an Air Force One and you kind of give it the ACG treatment, you give it what we have here on screen, which is an Air Force One Wild coming in fall 2023. You give it this really aggressive um, outsole. You give it this weird kind of faux carbon fiber midsole. You've got this nice plush um, suede on the, up, on the upper two with some hints of canvas and the same colors that you would expect on the Moab or you would expect on some lava domes from acg and the extra kind of sock liner to keep your foot in and the tongue adjusted it kind of looks very 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 on point in my opinion it really does and it just really sits with me and i'm really really keeping my eyes out for these when they do end up coming out so um just for kicks is saying or sorry just fresh kicks is saying that they're meant to be coming out in fall 2023 there's no exact date on them but so far we've got a nice light brown colorway that's similar to a moab or you know like i said a lava dome or maybe similar to like a tom sack sort of colorway if you've seen that beforehand but instead of the whites it's more yellow so it's more yellow on the top for the most part or cream brownish type of color with the orange swoosh a nice burgundy hit there on the hill tab looks really nice and if i'm not mistaken there's a kind of mix between suede and a sort of canvas material, which is really good, which would mean it'll be, they'll be somewhat waterproof. Not really, but you know, you could probably dip your toe in a puddle or two and you won't get super soaked. Um, and then we've also got this really nice maroon or burgundy type of colorway. We've got a nice deep green also, and we've got a nice white or no gray off. Yeah, a gray, a gray colorway here. And then we've also got an all black. So they're definitely going to come out all together. These look really, really, really good. I'm a real big fan of these. Um, I can't wait for these to drop. And hopefully they drop soon. No real date on them. I would have liked to have them in the summer to kind of be bopping these around the streets with shorts on. But unfortunately, I'll have to wait. Unfortunately, I will have to wait alongside every single one of you also who's a fan of those type of shoes. Next up, we got this. This is courtesy of Twitter regarding a account called, what is it? What's the person's name here? Alejandra. And I'm actually surprised something like this hasn't existed earlier. And if you're just watching, um, or if you're so if you're listening to the podcast, then essentially what this is is a augmented reality type of machine um, that's been fitted out in the Tommy Hilfiger shop, where you can essentially try on clothes without trying it on. There's this girl, she rocks up to a massive screen, taps her clothes that she wants to try on, and then the screen basically has her on there with the garments on the screen so you can see what the shirt or the jeans or whatever it may be would look like if you decided to buy them. And I was surprised stuff like this hasn't resisted before because I'm pretty sure, I can't remember where I saw it, but I did remember seeing Nike were testing this app that they had where essentially if you wanted to see how a shoe fit, you could see it via augmented reality on your phone and you could also get helpful advice in terms of the sizing because sometimes on Nike shoes, depending on your foot size, depending on the shape of the sneaker, your overall size can kind of, you know, it can vary quite significantly. 
So it's kind of good to kind of be able to maybe get an idea on what the shoe would look like on your foot um, through the kind of augmented reality screen or technology stuff that they got going on. But for some reason, it never kicked off. It never really went anywhere. And the same thing goes for shops, especially when you think about shops having you know shop rent being as high as it is nowadays and maybe having um maybe less space that you can maybe use it could probably be quite advantageous to be able to have these little kiosks and these sort of screens up everywhere so people could essentially try on stuff without needing to change room and you could also um, not have to take up so much space so you could essentially have stores where you know it kind of works like a tesco express where you kind of rock up you select something that you want to buy you see how it looks on you and it just kind of pops out and you can kind of keep it going maybe that could be something that could be looked at but i'm surprised this hasn't really kicked on but maybe it just shows you overall there's a lack of maybe urgency to develop and evolve when it comes to tech in fashion and whatnot especially in streetwear type of vibe but we'll hopefully see it coming soon and that's tommy hilfiger's interpretation of that type of affair as well Next up, I want to quickly touch upon this. This is going to be a pretty big collaboration this summer if you're kind of interested in this sort of stuff, which is Mugler and H&M. Thierry Mugler and H&M collection before Lookbook has dropped. And, you know, on my side of the internet, which is fashion Twitter for the most part, everyone's kind of going crazy for it. But I think this will be a harder sell for the normies out there than people are maybe anticipating it for because i think mugler's codes and essentially style is i feel like very niche and will only maybe maybe you know speak to a certain audience and i think for the most part most general normie people who shop at h&m probably won't feel the most comfortable you know put into grips up some of this clothing although they've done a good job h&m and mugler of having different you know shapes and sizes represented in the lookbook so you can get an idea on what the stuff will look like i still think just style wise this type of stuff is only maybe for a select number of people out there that'll be kind of into it. it doesn't necessarily i think translate like maybe some of the other collaborations that they've done with other big designers out there going forward but i do like some bits and bobs here that i've kind of seen um via the lookbook that'll be pretty interesting to wear this hoodie is really, really cool with the corset design here on the midriff. I feel like that would be a really decent look and some of the pants look very interesting. The shoes will probably be a good little addition to pop on. The women's stuff is clearly a lot better than the men's. You've got this really nice denim, um, denim skirt. It looks like a denim dress that has also like a jean jacket attached to the top with this massive M um, belt, which I'm assuming is going to do really good on resale. So if you're short for money, and you want to make some cash um i would advise you jumping on this movie collection and maybe buying a couple of belts if you can do i'm sure they're going to be probably the cheapest thing on the flipping um list anyway to kind of guess so definitely make sure to grab it if you need be um the shoes may do some bits as well but the belt is going to do definitely a good bits on this denim jacket i really like also it kind of reminds me a little bit of a couple of collections ago Vetiman did a collection where they had these really massive you know wide shouldered denim jackets that were cropped and on this denim jacket courtesy of Mugler it kind of has a crop style because this the kind of last quarter of the denim jacket is made in black so if you're wearing all black it kind of looks like the jacket is cropped it kind of you know gives this illusion on your body it kind of cinches you in well so I think a lot of dudes are going to be into it and again they've got that nice style where it's got like a little bit of an elongated um, sleeve and it kind of you know uh tucks in here on the waist so a lot of dudes are definitely going to love the vibe of that and again 
that M belt, I feel like it's going to do bits. So if you're struggling for some cash this month, definitely jump on that M belt when that eventually does come out because this is going to definitely do some numbers. And I also like the fact that um, for some reason, the buttons have been switched. So on this denim jacket, on the right-hand side, you've got your regular um, buttons that you'd expect to see on the denim jacket. And then on the right-hand side, they've got snap buttons, which is a pretty cool detail, which means styling-wise, you can have these two kind of snaps at the bottom. So it kind of gives this nice V sort of shape if you're going to styling it and make it look a certain way. Um, we've also got some other bits and pieces there. This down jacket type of vibe bomber jacket is definitely one of my favorites um i have a thing for contrast stitching i also have a thing for excessive zips i think anyone that's seen some of my jackets i wear would know i love a good contrast stitch and i love a good excessive zip and you know having all these zips all over this jacket with this sort of shape is absolutely banging and on it for me it kind of reminds me a little bit of a rick owens jacket that i've got this sort of like the similar sort of style with the jackets with the zips on you know basically four pockets all over the place and a zip around the hood also and again that big m belt and these paneled pants although pretty good i don't like how much they bunch up towards the bottom here so definitely would maybe need some tailoring if i was to wear them the women's stuff again looks absolutely incredible the dresses look great like all of this stuff is legit berghain wear right you've got these amazing straps on the inside of this lapelless suit jacket i'm not too sure if this means this actually holds the jacket together or if there's something that you can kind of detach but hey um, this is not something you definitely want to see Burt Kreischer wearing let's just say that um, it continues um, I do like the color of this jacket this suit this neon um, lime type of color of the suit looks amazing I'll probably end up looking like a Stabilo Boss um, highlighter if I wore one myself but I do like the look of this and I feel like also this will be great because you know what you put a flipping um, nice turtleneck underneath this and you could really change up what it looks like in terms of the shape and the style overall. I think so. So I do like the look of it. And there's this other addition of some jewelry piece there as well that I'm not really too fond of. But that look of that suit is also awesome. That might be a suit that I would buy just to have in the wardrobe in case I go out for New Year's Eve. That's what I'm, I'm thinking of. Just to kind of have it there in the wardrobe because everyone needs a couple of loud suits here and there. A nice cat suit here. That would look good on me also, I think, right behind the booth. A nice nude cat suit here to kind of make sure the rumpers out there and whatnot people would see and know the vibes the women's stuff looks the women's stuff is definitely the winner here i'm passing some of these women's looks now through the lookbook and the women's stuff looks really really good some of the guy stuff looks pretty decent also but i think if i wore this at Bergheim, i'd probably be sending the wrong signals <laughs> and i you know i could not be offended if i did <laughs> it just wouldn't be the what it is you know what i mean but i'd like the look of this looks pretty decent you know if you're jacked or if you've got a timothy chamelet physique this is definitely going to look good on you for sure um these sear type of tops look really amazing and i'm pretty sure i'm going to see a lot of them on the dance floor when i wherever i go out in terms of these you know dark techno clubs everyone's going to be into it. this is what actually it sheds. yeah that's what i'm thinking mugler actually from this collaboration what you're seeing a lot of your favorite brands out there that do this type of clothing they basically you can see where their inspirations come from this this essentially looks like good rave wear this looks like party clothing um it's not stuff you're going to be rocking up to in the in the office or whatnot but one of the standout pieces for me i think in the men's collection is this jacket right this jacket is absolutely crazy for me this is this is my vibe matrix vibe all flipping black massive wide shoulders it cinches in really well here on the waist and it will probably look amazing on everybody 
this entire look is definitely all that I'm into. All that I'm into. The over the jacket, the leather pants, even the boots are quite nice. The boots are probably wear my own flipping, you know, Saint Laurent Wyatt's instead, but this is definitely a vibe. This whole entire outfit is a vibe, hundred percent sure. This is definitely one of the standout pieces I feel like um in the lookbook. That whole entire thing. Oh, we've got some more stuff I've I've missed here. Let me double check here. What else did I miss? Da 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 da. I think we're at twenty. Oh yeah, we've got a nice leather jacket also, a suit jacket, blazer similar type of style here with that the lapels design which i'm a big fan of also i love this suit jacket blazer thing the body diamond thing is a bit mad but i love it also not gonna lie so all of it's really good party party outfits and stuff and some and a nice biker jacket also here in a women's collection that i think will do amazing and actually a really nice dress here as well this lady's got on too this dress is really nice. I think that'll be flattering on a lot of the ladies' shapes out there and some nice stuff also here. This corset top here on the left is really nice as well, looking-wise. I love the jewellery here with these kind of spikes or nails points. The styling with the nails also looks really good. So a lot of it is quite awesome. But again, most of the, most of the women's... Oh, um, that's... What should we call it, isn't it? I forgot the artist. What's, what's her name? Oh, I forgot the artist's name. Arca, that's Arca, I'm pretty sure, in the lookbook there. But yeah, so big up Arca. Um, but yeah, pretty decent stuff. Like what I'm seeing here so far. Um, when does it all come out? That's the major date. The major key here, the major key is that it's all meant to be coming out in select stores and H&M's website on May 11th. So if you're interested in that, May 11th is when you're going to be seeing it. May 11th. So if you need some monies, make sure you jump on that massive M belt. That's going to be popular. I think some of the flipping, um, I think some of the other bits and bobs will be really popular also. Um, who's in the chat? What are people saying in the chat for me? Yeah, big up Richie. What's good? Thick Boy Army. Yes, it's coming soon. Severo Design. After this stream, Richie said Rosalia. No, I don't think that's Rosalia. I'm pretty sure that's Arca. I'm pretty sure that's Arca. I think Rosalia would be offended if you thought Arca was Rosalia, but I don't know. But I'm pretty sure that's Arca. That definitely looks like Arca to me. I don't think that's Rosalia. But, you know, they may be, are they from the same country? Maybe they're from the same country? I'm not really sure. But regardless, um, big up H&M and Mugler. Um, decent collaboration so far. But I think for the majority of people, it's going to be a little bit inaccessible or maybe just in terms of vibe, they're probably not going to be into it, in my opinion. But hey, what do I know? Next, I want to talk about this, actually. Um, the Fear of God show happened for 2023. I spoke about it briefly on another podcast episode, and I mentioned how I thought the shoes were maybe the standout pieces there, for the most part. The shoes, definitely the standout. I thought the clothing was a little bit meh for me, personally, but I thought the shoes was a standout. But the interesting thing is, having read the interview, that Jerry Lorenzo did with Vogue Business, I've now gotten a greater understanding as to why maybe the flipping clothes aren't that great because damn almighty, I had no idea the business that these guys were doing. This is a headline courtesy of Vogue. It says, Fear of God could grow to a $1 billion for Jerry Lorenzo. That's not the goal, which is dumb because clearly it's the goal. Um, and it kind of makes me think of that flipping hilarious video of Jerry Lorenzo being asked at some flipping church place somewhere why his clothes are so expensive and him basically saying 
because God has called him to excellence, which is hilarious. It's kind of the streetwear version of like those pastors who justify buying private jets so they can go and spread the ministry. Uh, because God wants me to be in like seven places in one day. So I need my own private jet that's like, you know, 500 million. And I need the, the church to pay for it. That's all nonsense. So clearly money is some sort of a motivator in some way, shape or form. But having read this interview, which is really good, this feature, it kind of does highlight the struggles that come with success, which is strange to say that, but they are suffering from success because somehow within you know within an effort to try to make a more affordable line with having essentials right fear of god essentials he's also created a little bit of a mini monster and a kind of um you know a staple within streetwear just in general in people clothing wardrobes and whatnot because even myself being a firm flipping essentials hater i can't hate the recent look that i saw that i featured on a podcast was pretty pretty good the basics or just the colors the you know the, the flipping silhouettes the shapes the fabrics that just look really nice really luxurious but especially when you consider it's meant to be the quote-unquote diffusion line or the cheaper version of fear of god but from what you can hear from what he's saying essentially they want to separate them and make fear of god to be essentially the essentials and then to be the main fear of god ready to wear line to be maybe somewhere where he can maybe explore some other themes motives shapes whatever it may be but at the moment they're kind of feeling a little bit samey but it just need to kind of give some respect to the guy for being able to build a business on the side that was out of necessity or maybe the way to kind of give back and feed the kids and kind of stop people asking him questions about why it's so, so expensive and in the process he has essentially built a business that is close to a billy close to a billy on the side which is pretty crazy um let me see if i can find it. there's a quote here towards the bottom here about the essentials Ba, 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 ba. Where is it? I think it's around here somewhere. Yeah, let's actually read this. I'll, I'll, read, I'll just read the thing to you so you can give an idea on what the vibe is saying. Um, so it says here, let's, let's, start from this, let's start from here. It says, the morning after the debut runway show that was 10 years in the making and which took 10 days of style, Fear of God found the Jay Lorenzo sits with LA Milk Studios contemplating the long anticipated landmark achievement that's suddenly behind him. He says, I'm coming uh, around from four hours of sleep and trying to process it, he says. Comparing the live format to that of his first seven collections, all revealed via lookbooks, he said, in the past, I would have more time with the collection before it was shared. But when you do a show, it's as if you're almost experiencing it for the first time as the audience does too. The show was held at the Hollywood Bowl in LA, an outdoor concert venue, 10 minutes from Lorenzo's home and a regular date and destination for Lorenzo and his wife, Desiree, um, which is um, considers the last iconic venue in LA. I actually have to give the guy credit for doing in LA. I feel like I've always said it, but I feel like the insistence and the flipping begging um, and just the overall desperation a lot of these streetwear and menswear brands have with always displaying stuff in Paris uh, Fashion Week is really annoying and kind of nauseating, especially some of them that are, I feel like very much tied to their location and where they're at. For instance, like Awake, you know, a streetwear brand, you know, New York based with the founders being intrinsically part of the New York fabric for them to have a showroom out in Paris to flip and show their wares makes absolutely no sense to me in the slightest. Oh, what happened there? Why can't I see it? Is my thing stopped? Oh, okay, I'm getting the, or the the flipping rainbow sign here for the moment. Bear with me a second whilst this flipping loads again. I think I'm talking too long. But anyway, yeah, cool. So, um, as I was saying beforehand, I feel like a lot of these brands, 
shouldn't be going to Paris just because everyone else is going to Paris. I feel like a lot of these brands, especially when they're tied to a specific location and they have founders who are, you know, who basically use where they're from as a inspiration board, the sounding board for what they do. It just makes it no sense to me when they didn't go and pull their brand up from its roots and transplant it over to Paris just so it can kind of be looked upon as a serious brand or whatever it may be. I feel like sometimes having it where you're from, having it where you're at, having it where the brand is birthed from kind of gives it another feel, another energy, another type of vibe. And it kind of makes me think of, that's why I felt like, you know, Heron Preston going back to New York was a really smart decision. And, you know, basically Jerry Lorenzo decided to do his debut show in LA. It's also a smart decision. Most likely he'll probably end up going to Paris anyway, because all, all men's wear fashion streetwear dudes seem to think flipping Paris is the Mecca, but I would love to to there for there to be more, people doing their brand presentations whatever it may be collections where they're actually at where they're actually from where the brand is birthed from it just gives it a whole different vibe a whole different feel and also especially for a place like la you would imagine which i would imagine doesn't really have much of a fashion scene especially in the conventional or traditional calendar that would be a good way to kind of somewhat build that community around it probably who knows um, it continues. Bookended by live performances from English songwriter Sampha and American rapper Pusha T, it was an elevatory and vividly expressive leap forward in, in Free of God's evolution that specifically um, connected Lorenzo's own identity, his Christianity, his ancestry, his life experience with his established design codes. An exploration of American luxury, its cinematic scope fell akin to a Ralph Lauren Spring 2023 show in delivery, while summer tendency being rude to experience rather than fantasy. I think it's very difficult to talk about revelation and vividly and evolution and shit when you have Sampha and Pusha T. I feel like that was one thing that kind of let it down. It kind of felt like I was watching some NTS fashion show having Sampha on there again. Like I would die on the hill that I think Sampha is incredibly overrated. If people think Frank Ocean is overrated and they think his fans need to move on, then I think Sampha fans also need to do the same. Like Sampha, I've never really been the biggest fan of his. And I think even now, more so in the 2023 era of these incredible singer songwriters out there, he just doesn't cut the mustard for me in any way, shape or form. Personally, it kind of feels a bit dated, but we continue. Um, even when not running on fumes, it was most observed that Lorenzo makes poor a subject for a business interview. His primary obsession are shapes, drapes, and being true to his vision of a brand and self-expression. After a peripatetic um, preface, he launched Fear of God a decade ago in 2013 with no formal training and simply conviction that there was a gap in the market. I have to give this guy credit though, because when Fear of God first started, myself and maybe others could see the direct inspiration from, you know, Hedy Slamane, Saint Laurent, maybe some bits and bobs of Hedy Slamane, Dior, maybe some Rick Owens and whatever it may be, right? We could definitely see it in there. It was clear as day. But I think over time, he's used those other designers as maybe as a template, but he's also been able to imbue his own code, his own taste, his own idea, artistic direction, whatever it may be, into the clothes that he makes. So that now when you see, see Fear of God, you don't think of like an athletic knockoff version of Saint Laurent. You think of just Fear of God. He's got particular shapes, silhouettes, whatever it may be over the years that he's fine-tuned and made his own. And I feel like that is really hard to do in the modern era, especially when you think about the number of brands out there vying for your attention, your dollars, to be able to make a, a hoodie a pair of pants a pair of shorts with no branding on it and for somebody to instantly recognize what it is that definitely shows that you got it 
You know what I mean? That you're that person, that you know what you're doing and you definitely, you know, hit on something. It continues. Um, of targets, numbers and strategy, positioning and other such conventional metrics, he observes, I'll never find peace by thinking that we're on trend or that we're doing what the world thinks we're doing. I honestly find more peace in waters where I'm swimming by myself. The call of our brand is to do a new thing. And that new thing doesn't necessarily have benchmarks. It doesn't necessarily have goals that are quantifiable. That's nice to say, honestly, for him, when you're making a billion, essentially making, you know, pastel colored hoodies and sweatpants. But I think if the, he wasn't making good money and the business wasn't successful, he'd be caring about metrics. You know what I mean, it's kind of when rich people say, oh, it's not about the money, man. Money actually doesn't make you rich. It's like, yeah, OK, cool. Give me the money first. Let me experience that first. You know what I mean, come on, brothers. Um, anyway, continues. However, elsewhere in Milk Studios, which Fear of God uses his base operation during the show, those numbers to be gleaned. As part of Fear of God's second decade plus plan, sorry, Lorenzo recently took on his first CEO, Alfred Chang, who began his duties in mid-March. He first encountered um, Fear of God seven years ago when he was working at US retailer Paxson and began pantering with Louis, uh, Lorenzo sorry, to offer a then nascent um, essentials line. Then known as Fog, Essentials has since grown into the commercial juggernaut streetwear staple across US, UK, China, and beyond. So can you imagine there's there's gonna become a time somewhere along the line where we'll see Essential store and Fear of God stores. They won't be all under one brand. They'll be separate stores. Imagine that'll be crazy, isn't it? You build it, you build a diffusion line so big, you need its own you know dedicated store to sell stuff i could just selling so much of it he continues said in the first press interview as fear of god ceo chang envisions future expansion in staffing revenues categories and geographical presence of the brand characterizing current annual revenues as between 200 million and 300 million he adds as we look forward that we see a path of half a billion dollars and then after we see a path to a billion dollars jesus christos mate they are caking caking and i also have to say this makes sense to me because unlike other brands that you know put out crazy numbers um and this is privately owned so they didn't have to give all this up but a lot of brands put out these numbers and you don't believe them because you go outside you don't see anybody wearing it but i see a lot of kids even in my rundown hood part of london that i live in i see a lot of kids wearing mainline fear of god and also essentials I see people wearing it day to day. So clearly, 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 this is um, a thriving business. It continues. Describing those figures as a marker of progress rather than a be all and end all targets, Chang echoes Lorenzo. Numbers are not what this business is all about. Yes, it is. <laughs> Let's be real. The path ahead will be unique, just as a way in which Jerry has created a brand has been unique. Um, new avenues. Fear of God, which is privately owned, currently employs around 60 people only to operate the brand again showing you that you can be lean mean and strong out there i think even rick owens is the same actually if i'm not mistaken they could they're pretty lean in terms of how many people they actually hire um uh the, the 60 people from his la art district in hq according to chang there will be likely be a hundred names on the payroll by the end of the year some of the new hires might be tasked with staffing the brand's much anticipated first flagship store in la again i'm loving it i'm loving the fact that he is doing things you know in la representing where he's from and putting la on in that sort of fashion sense instead of 
you know, because I'm sure he has many offers probably and easy opportunity to come and open up a store here in London and it would do crazy numbers. Like people love flipping essentials in the UK. That would do, it would kill if you open one in anywhere in Europe also if you wanted to. But the fact that he's doing his first store in LA shows you, you know, he's kind of got his head screwed on right. But also don't be surprised if the first overseas store is definitely in London or maybe in Asia somewhere. But definitely those two markets, I think, will be the first to go out um, outside the United States. It continues. Without giving up any opening date or address, Chang confirms that the store is in the works. Lorenzo says um, a planned opening to coincide with the week's show had hit some bumps in the road due to the factors beyond their control. Unflustered, he said, we know that the store will get here when the time is right. And I think you're seeing a lot of these brands doing this now, deciding to open stores, even though, even though, you know, it's probably not the greatest idea. I think it makes a lot of sense for these brands to kind of tell their stories in this somewhat unique way by having your own dedicated store where you can kind of, you know, craft everything in around it, create your own universe, bring people into your world and kind of tell your story in a way more interesting way than flat 2D lookbook images or stuff on Instagram and shit. You need to be able to tell it in a more compelling way, sound, sense, smell, touch, vibe of the people in there. It all kind of adds to it. So it's a bit of an expense. It's a big risk, but it definitely adds to the overall bottom line. And then we'll read this last bit here. It says the brand's first physical shopping shop opened at Selfridges in London two years ago. Um, Bosi Mir, is that supposed to say his name? Bosi Mir, the retailer's director of women's wear and men's wear says this vote of confidence stemmed from existing wholesale success. So again, they're selling well wholesale, they're selling well privately on the, you know, what you call it, what's the thing called um, B2B, like it's crazy. It continues. Um, Jerry has been inspiring our customers for many years, Bosi says. The style, cut and composition of every item are all precisely considered to Together create their own unique look and feel that is very pure and also instantly in identifiable. This sounds like something that came out of Chat GPT or something that came straight out of the flipping PR handbook. Like, did he actually say this? <laughs> I don't know. Let's continue. Fear of God's um, 21st century vision of American luxury definitely resonates across the Atlantic. Chang says the majority of the revenue generated in Fear of God's home market, while Europe and Asia are around even. That makes a lot of sense, though, because I see a lot of European people and Asian people wearing the essentials and Fear of God. So we're going neck and neck for jacking Fear of God. So big up him. Um, and also this last bit here, Essentials has overtaken the mainline collection to become Fear of God's biggest revenue driver, Chang discloses. Imagine that. Imagine how good of a feeling that must be as a designer. You create a diffusion line. Diffusion lines are typically the more affordable line you know, for a brand or a way for you to kind of introduce people to what you do and hope that over time they can grow with you and decide to buy stuff from the mainline, Right. Imagine how proud you have to be as a designer. You get to the point where your diffusion line is now outstripping your main line. Because it, essentially what this ends up doing is it gives you more kind of luxury and more room to experiment and go crazy on your main line. Because your essentials line is, or your diffusion quote unquote line is, you know, is, is, is exceeding all expectations and allowing you to take chances on your main line that you probably wouldn't beforehand when really people like doing it the other way around. But this is pretty cool. I really do like it. I think it's awesome to see. And um, yeah, eager to see more as they kind of progress. But unfortunately for me, the actual collection, I wasn't that impressed with. 
have to be honest. And I feel like maybe this goes to speak to the idea that Jerry Lorenzo's kind of focus has been all over the place in terms of opening a store, getting the business right, essentials blowing up, um, the Adidas basketball collaboration, all this malarkey is going at the same time. And I feel like it maybe resonated a little bit with the clothing because I feel like a lot of the stuff that's interested in it, you kind of, it was all hidden under these really big, wide-shouldered, lapel-less overcoats and stuff which look nice but i don't think we needed so many in the collection like i think every lookbook maybe minus a couple has a massive massive overcoat um kind of you know you know obscuring whatever may be underneath the clothing and you can't really get to see any of it and a lot of the attitude a lot of the spunk that you kind of know about fear of god it kind of is not there anymore and it's not even soft in like a really kind of you know um in a cute way it's just feels bland and really boring to be honest the best bits may be some of the styling nods here there's these nice little leather ropes that are used on the offer coats to kind of cinch them on the weight on the waist to kind of give this really nice silhouette they look really interesting and um, there's some bits and pieces like the leather gloves they look pretty decent but again i've seen a lot enough of those with the pradas and whatnot and the raf simmons um collection some of these looks maybe give me an idea of what our fear of god's all about look number 25 and 27 they kind of give that bit of an attitude you've got this essentially really luxurious looking um leather tracksuit type of number in this yellow color number that looks really really nice as does this look number 25 with this really nice um leather overcoat it kind of looks similar to a, a, an army overcoat i've got in my wardrobe but instead of it being the zip it all kind of is one piece so it kind of looks like an anorak not like a smock in a way but it's made like a jacket without a zip and it's all leather looking with the same leather pants and a baseball cap that's a really nice look with the attitude and spunk I'd expect to see from fear of God and obviously look number 30 is given that also but most of it just feels really bland it feels really dull and not really interesting and I feel like a lot of it has to do with the fact that business is booming and this guy's focus is all over the place so it's really difficult to kind of be bouncing from time you know collection to collection so I wouldn't be surprised I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere along the line um, Jay Lorenzo takes a step back from essentials and gives it to somebody else and focuses primarily on fear of God or vice versa. But something's going to have to give. He can't, he can't do both because, you know, taste wise and aesthetic wise, it kind of all looks the same, but doesn't. And I think fear of God essentials is now starting to look better than the main line, which is nuts to say, but I do think so. These pants here on look number 34 are quite interesting. These little tasseled frayed pants here. They may be part of the Adidas collaboration. They've got some stripes on the inside. They look rather interesting. Um, this look has the attitude that I expect to see from a Fear of God look in look number 36 with the hat um, and the overcoat and this nice shape here on the hood. But again, it just I'm plucking at straws here to kind of pull some stuff that I do like. Even maybe look number 40 again, more of the attitude I expect to see. But all of it feels like stuff that I've seen before from them. So not the most interesting collection at all from them at all. And I feel like, like I said before, business is going too well for them to create anything of any interest. And the last bits of the show look like what you would deem to be part of the Adidas basketball collaboration, which again, I feel like doesn't make any sense for it to be part of the Fear of God mainline. Maybe the Adidas basketball collection, I think code-wise, aesthetic-wise, maybe would have made more sense if it was under the banner of Essentials rather than Fear of God. Maybe, but maybe I'm wrong. 
Um, I feel like that would have worked a little bit too well, but I think the rest of it just isn't that great. The bags are maybe somewhat interesting, but again, I feel like there's a lot of brands out there doing some interesting bags, so I'm not really too sure if we are lacking in these shapes in terms of these bags overall. Styling-wise, it's all right for the most part, but again, it just feels a little bit boring, just feels a little bit glum and dead, and maybe the last look here, that Alton Mason is flipping flossing, it looks really cool. And also, actually... Outer Mason's look and what Jerry wore on the on the on the runway. He had some like Adidas hoodie. You can't see here in the picture, but yes, Adidas look look really good also. Um, and I guess Outer Mason looks really nice as well in this look number fifty eight with this amazing faux fur overcoat, lapel less blazer um, that's kind of elongated that goes towards the top of the knees. The tailoring is really nice. It's something you have to say. Um, he's not you know i don't think formally trained in pattern cutting or whatever it may be but the tailoring is i think really good and maybe that comes from the time that he spent collaborating with zegna that maybe gave him some inkling and some understandings and learnings as to how to pattern cut properly but the tailoring is really really good but overall maybe the most boring collection i've seen of his and again makes sense because business is booming and his attention has been pulled in all different places but it wasn't my favorite it was definitely 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 not my favorite but hey what can you do what can you do and then um i quickly want to lastly touch upon this this is courtesy of hypebeast and this features our aries opening up their first store here in london i've had plenty to say about aries because i feel like you know i was a fan of the brand early on and i feel like over time they've somewhat lost their way they feel like they're going in 17 directions at once and none of them really make too much sense um maybe it's a price point maybe it's the aesthetic overall maybe it's the fact that they use really really young young models but the clothes are super expensive and you feel like hold on who's buying this stuff like the people i see buying this stuff are like my age i don't see kids under 25 buying this at all and if they are wearing it it feels like they got it for free so it's all it's all a bit strange but again they decided to open a store and i think even though i have my reservations about them I think the store is probably going to be the smartest decision ever that they've done because I feel like Aries as a brand maybe does need a physical store to actually tell their story and to kind of get across their vibe and to maybe understand better who their actual customers are once they come into the doors because maybe there's a disconnect in that regard of them not understanding who their customers are maybe thinking because they're you know because of the founders um so I think her name's Sophia Prantera and I think she used to do it with this other guy who was also, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't, yeah, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Aries was started by Sophia Pantera and um, her husband. I'm not sure if they're still married, but the guy was associated with Palace and um, they used to work together. So, you know, very cool hipster crowds they used to run in. So maybe just because they're where they're from and their backgrounds, they probably naturally thought their brand would be associated with certain scenes and certain groups of people. But I guess... Again, I don't, I've never owned a brand, but I think over time, sometimes your brand just ends up having a life of its own and ends up kind of touching and resonating with people you probably didn't expect it to resonate with. And it takes some time to understand who those people are and maybe kind of, you know, try maybe start to make stuff for them in some way, shape or form, or maybe speak to them in a way. But anyway, regardless, this is the store in London that I'm clicking through the pictures to kind of see. Standard retail store in terms of the vibe. You know how it is. Sparse space, bare walls, um, you know, uh, somewhat aggressive fixturings and whatnot. Loads of plywood in bits and places and stuff. And loads of blank spaces that people are going to probably be tagging on and graffitiing on and whatnot. But I feel like 
the rest of it, the bits of Bob's, like the accessories, the books, the music that's going to be playing, the scents that are going to be in there, the staff that are going to be in the store are going to really um, play a huge part into dictating whether or not Arise, Aries, sorry, ends up being a successful brand in the future. But I feel like this store is definitely a good idea, especially if they start doing like, you know, in-store releases, they start doing DJ live streams there, shows, whatever it may be, screenings, all these things are going to be really important, book signings, whatever it may be, they're really going to help um, the store to kind of essentially act as a sounding board or as a meetup community spot for people to rock up in. Oh, they've even got a coffee shop here, it looks like, in one of these pictures, they've got this really nice, this a really beautifully designed, not even nice, a really beautifully designed coffee coffee store um coffee counter here um inside of the store that looks really really beautiful i'm not gonna lie this i love the mix of metal with wood that looks really really awesome i love the look of this with the rounded corners yeah i like this probably my favorite and also that plant pot is really nice as well um a nice aluminium syringe steel um plant pot that kind of reminds me of the starship from spacex a little bit but that looks really really cool and then you've also got a downstairs basement bit also oh wow see they can do screenings here downstairs they've got a whole space downstairs to do screenings and so again it as people are saying in the chat it does look a bit generic but i feel like they need a generic space to be able to tell a very interesting story that's what they need they need a generic space to tell an interesting story because at the moment just from posting lookbook pictures and of like kids under the age of 25 looking and smiling and looking cool it just doesn't resonate with the people that I actually see wearing it and also it just feels like the stuff is all over the place like there's some tie-dye here there's some over dye here there's some you know whatever it just it just falls all over the place a little bit so maybe the story have to kind of you know um focus it in a little bit the article courtesy of Hypebeast says London-based label Aries opens its first uh, doors, opening the doors, sorry, to its first ever physical retail location in British capital. The 4,000 square foot store set in London's dynamic Soho neighborhood designed across two-story layout. Aries debut brick and mortar location supplies a state-of-the-art experience by combining a co-ed fashion ideals with a curated artistic notions. What the fuck does that mean? who knows in addition the brand will present exclusive collaborations and install installations and international partners that bring aries unique culture to life i love it so if they have a new balance another new balance collaboration which they hopefully should it'll be cool it good good to do a launch in there kind of get it really popping and whatnot the space is dominated by a simplistic design language combining the british techniques and italian craftsmanship hmm rugged cement flooring is contrasted by bespoke wooden furniture with an effortless outlook a grand scaffold staircase connects both floors with sleek marble detailing while leather accents deliver an elegant touch furthermore parisian born um, coffee shop paperboy will host the first pop-up outside of france permanently residing inside Aries store the on undergo coffee will serve paperboy signature sandwiches and coffee and collaboration with east Aries and east london's dark arts coffee so they've got paperboy whoever paperboy is let me see who paperboy coffee is i guess this is like the that that, that coffee shop in la that everyone goes to now so all these trendy coffee shops will have little pop-ups which is a pretty cool idea to have actually i'm not actually mad at that at all in the slightest um and it's definitely going to give it a buzz and whatnot and allow people to come in there and sit outside and whatnot and chill and kind of create a little community around it but yeah judging by the paperboy coffee here on instagram again very cool aesthetic in overall i love the logo they make pastries they make good coffees and whatnot so people are going to be into that and then the other people they're partnering with 
is a firm called Dark Arts Coffee, which I'm assuming by the name might be some sort of like metal inspired coffee brand or something along that kind of lines. They probably have long sleeved shirts with gothic printing on the sleeves that say Dark Arts Coffee. So all this stuff, I think, will resonate really well with the brand and obviously help people to kind of get an idea of what they're about and whatnot. So as this website loads up, let's see it. Yep, it's kind of making a lot of sense to me. Loads of memes on there, smiling hipsters, mustaches, chinos, long hair, tattoos, people riding chopper bikes and shit. So yeah, all this stuff will work really well, I think, going forward. And um, you get to see it and how it transpires. Actually, you know what? Funnily enough, this might be someone I saw. I might have seen this person somewhere in Hackney actually before riding a chopper. I was like, who rides a chopper in London? Because you don't really see um, chopper motorbikes in London for the most part. You don't really see a lot of people riding them out and about. And I saw one, I may have saw one of these guys riding around town with um, some very trendy supreme clothing and one of these choppers. But yeah, looking really cool, eager to see how it kind of builds and grows. And I feel like actually this might be an actually good idea for Aries going forward. So Aries London store is open at the moment. So if you care about the brand, you care about what they want to do, you want to see them grow, you want to see them do interesting, cool things. And I do do encourage you to check them out if that is your vibe. I do in check with you to check them out if that is your vibe. The store is open to the public now. You can visit it at 31 Great Pulteney Street, London W1F 9NN, open from 11 to 7 p.m. Brutal retail hours, but that is the truth. Brutal hips uh, retail hour, but that is the truth. That is the truth. Okay, so that has been the Agostino Zinger Show, episode number 668. Thank you so much for those of you tuning in live to this podcast. I do appreciate you. If you're tuning in after the fact, then I also appreciate you for listening. It has been my pleasure to bring you all of this interesting cultural news as I do on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. Thank you for the support. If you're listening to this show via the audio platform, you shall hear my tune of the day playing underneath me as I'm speaking right now. You should hear my tune day kicking in. If you're watching via the video side of things, you won't see the tune of the day. It'll just, it'll just go to black completely and I'll disappear. But thank you so much for tuning in. I do appreciate every single one of you and I'll see you guys again very, very soon. Take care and be safe. People Let go, oh
Deeps in the boulders The world's on our shoulders Can't let your heart grow colder With me in your corner Ain't no 